0: Let me be the first to welcome everyone back to winter here in the panhandle of Florida. I've never seen so many sweaters and sport coats and the like, and uh, lice and brisk this morning. Uh, But hey, it's the panhandle of Florida, and if you don't like the weather today, hang around for 24 hours. Somebody say amen. It's really great to be able to see you. If you're one of our guests today, a special welcome to you. We're glad that you're here uh, this morning. We're excited about today as we've been excited really about the whole weekend because we're introducing today the Welcome Initiative and it's going to be something that consumes us for the next 30 days in the life of our church family here at Hillcrest and we'll get it teed up for you this morning and get it rolled out so that everybody's kind of on the same page whether you were able to be with us here last night for our vision night or not all is well because we'll be Uh, reviewing a lot of that information that we looked at last night again today and then of course all through the month as well before we get into it though didn't we have a wonderful Easter at Hillcrest amen it was great you know I'm an idealistic pastor I wish every Sunday could be like Easter Sunday and sometimes I think well why not you know that ought to be what we shoot for every single week in the life of our church, and we had just scores of people at uh, both campuses. We did a really good job, an efficient, uh, f- uh, effective and efficient job of uh, welcoming our guests and registering our guests and attenders as well. We had, I don't know how many of those cards we had turned in, but you know how many of them were either a guest or an attender? In other words, a non-member. Six hundred and sixty-six. That's right. You know, it's one of those things you don't know whether to applaud or set on your hands. One of the two. So here's the thing. I need somebody to complete a guest card today, all right? And put us one more than that so that we can feel... No, we feel really great about the number. That's incredible. Twenty-five of those people indicated they wanted to know more about what it meant to be saved have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Another 16 indicated they wanted more information about what it meant to be baptized. 101 wanted to know more information about joining our church and what church membership was all about. I don't know about you, but I think that's pretty good stuff. We've had people in the office this week one of whom was just baptized in the first service, came in for a follow-up visit, one of our pastors got saved in the pastor's office and then was baptized at the 9.30 hour. Great things happened as a result of Easter Sunday and we owe a great debt of gratitude to God for that today. So put your hands together. Hey, I took my girls out for breakfast yesterday morning to one of our favorite restaurants here in town, packed with people. It was like it was Easter Sunday at the bre- at the breakfast place and all kinds of people waiting outside and we finally got in. I was incognito as I mostly am on a Saturday. I had my Nike golf hat on. I was wearing my glasses. I had a kind of a frumpy sweatshirt on. And uh, the server, young lady, came, and she took our drink order, and then she came back to take our food order, and she took our food order, and then gathered up all of the literature and the menus and the like, and she stepped back and she said, aren't you, and I said, whoever you're thinking about it, no, I'm not. That's not me. And she said, no, 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 you're a preacher, aren't you? And I said, well, that depends. And she said, no, you're pastor of that Church, you're pastor of Hillcrest, aren't you? And I said, Yes, I am, and you recognize me underneath all this paraphernalia. She said, Well, it was the voice that gave it away. And I said, Well, okay, that's great. It's great to have you been to Hillcrest. We were there Easter Sunday. My husband and I. My husband works at Navy Federal, she said. One of those people you just saw on the screen. She said, We came Easter Sunday. And I said, Well, what could we do better? She said, not a thing. We had a great morning. My mother was with us. She was a little bit discombobulated because it was a little big. And I said, that's all right. Have her come back four, five, six Sundays in a row. The big goes away. Isn't that right? It just becomes church. It's just church. So just keep pressing through that, and uh, that will become the new normal, as they say. And so she went away. Her husband worked part-time there at the same restaurant, and he was on And he came by a few minutes later. And she, he said, great to have you here. I said, man, I come here a lot. hope to see you again. And then he left after visiting with us a few minutes. And I looked over at Judy, and I said, you know what this means, don't you? And she said, what? And I said, it means we got to leave a really big tip today. That's what it means. <laughs> I don't have to go back. Let him wait on me again. Well... I tell you, the thing about that is all of those are reminders that these are new days for us at Hillcrest, days that are rich with opportunity. I remember when I came to Hillcrest back in 2005, everybody was saying at that time, boy, you need to come and be our pastor because the city's growing. And north, it's growing north. North is the only way the city can grow. And it sounded great. One of these days, Hillcrest is going to be the geographic epicenter of the city of greater Pensacola. But for a long time, there was nothing to indicate that was going to happen. Two major storms about that time, one year after another. Then in 2008, housing bubble burst and the economy just tanked. It went south. There wasn't a lot of growth. Wasn't a lot of new industry. Wasn't a lot of development. Boy, that's not the case anymore, is it? I mean, all up and down Nine Mile Road, y'all seen all those apartments. Navy Federal is becoming the size of Atlanta, Georgia, just five and a half miles down the road, five and a half miles down the road from our church, not to mention all of the other education development, retail, finance that goes along with that. One booming thing leads to another booming thing. You saw those statistics. I was talking with one of our business leaders after our vision night last night, who is in the construction industry. And he said, Pastor, I don't know if you're aware or not, but the projections for the three-county area, Baldwin County, Alabama, Escambia County, Florida, Santa Rosa County, Florida, are by the year 2030, between 2030 and 2040, the population of those three counties is going to surpass one million people. And so we are positioned right where we need to be positioned for these next few decades of our life together. And we've got a great vision at our church, and that vision is in no way going to change, but sometimes it needs to be recalibrated a little bit just to make sure that we're properly positioned that we might maximize the ready harvest that we could experience if indeed we're ready for the people to come. So we roll out today a 30-day emphasis that will culminate on Sunday, May the 6th that we're calling the Welcome Initiative. And today, we're not gonna let you drink from a fire hydrant. We're gonna take an entire month to roll it out. And so I would encourage you to make sure that you're here for these next four Sundays in a row, particularly, because you get better information from me than you can get on the parking lot. Amen. And so if you wanna know and be in the know, you need to be here on Sundays, And for those of you that are leaders, we're going to be having a number of leader meetings that many of you will be invited to. And if you're invited to one of those meetings, I would encourage you to come because you can get better information from your senior pastor than you can from other church members in the hallway or on the parking lot. If you were listening, say amen. All right. So be where you need to be because we've got lots of good stuff that we need to roll out and we just have to take it in bite-sized chunks. Today, we want to begin from a 30,000 foot perspective if we can. So take your Bible and be finding Romans, Paul's letter to the Romans and the 15th chapter this morning. And I'm going to read a passage of Scripture that will enable us uh, to be properly positioned at the very beginning to understand from a theological perspective where we need to be and why we need to get there. And as we read this passage together, I want you to notice the deference, deference, the outward focus, the intentional sensitivity that God's people are to have toward, watch it, other people, both within the body of Christ and those who are not part of us yet. Romans chapter 15, beginning in verse number 1. Everybody ready to read? Would you say amen? For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ that together you may with one voice Glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now, as we so often do, let's read that last verse together because that last verse, Romans 15, 7, becomes the theological starting point for this entire welcome initiative that we're going to be emphasizing through the rest of the month. Let's read it out loud together. Verse number seven, together. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let's read it again. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has for the glory of God. All my ministry life I've been warned against pleasing other people, against the temptation as a pastor of being a people pleaser, as if it were somehow wrong to want people to be happy with who you are and be happy with the job that you're doing. Now, I get the admonition, and I think there's a lot of wisdom to that because there is a kind of people pleasing that I don't think is altogether pleasing to God. And you know what I mean by that kind of people-pleasing, don't you? When you flatter people in order to keep a smile on their face or when pastors and church leaders compromise the full gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in order to make people happy or to keep the peace or to stay out of trouble. It's really flattering people, pleasing them in a flattering kind of way by telling them what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear. That kind of people-pleasing is a people-pleasing that's never pleasing to God. It's never a good thing. As the apostle said in the book of Acts, when they could have pleased the Sanhedrin who were commanding them to not preach or teach in the name of Jesus Christ and to quit preaching the resurrection, they looked at those men and they said, we can't do that, even though it makes you very unhappy and will not be pleasing to your ears, but we must obey God rather than... Man, And so that kind of people-pleasing, never a good thing. But there are kinds of people-pleasing that I think are a good thing. And it's not always wrong to please other people in the house of God. In fact, sometimes it's the right thing to do. It's a gospel-centered thing to do. Let me remind everybody that there are three kinds of people in the house this morning, and there are every Sunday, as there are typically in most every churches. Uh, most every church, there are strong believers, and these are the spiritually mature. These are people that are really growing. They're serious about the Lord. They live in grace. Uh, they know the essentials of the Bible. Uh, And they're not typically thrown off kilter by disputable matters where others don't necessarily agree with them on what their perspective is. Strong, mature believers. Then there are, secondly, weak believers. And Paul kind of contrasts the strong and the weak in this passage of Scripture. And by weak, he's talking about people that genuinely know Christ. They're following Jesus, but they're not very strong in their faith. They're not very mature. They don't really know what to do with grace. They tend to live by legalism. They've got to have a set of do's and don'ts, rights and wrongs. And they tend to be sometimes judgmental at others who live in grace but who violate their self-concocted code of conduct. So there's strong believers and then there are weak believers. Everybody with me so far? Amen. And then there are non-believers, right? And they're in church with us this morning, I'm sure. Not everybody in here is a saved, born again follower of Jesus. And so there are non-believers who don't know the Lord. Maybe they're seeking spiritual truth. Maybe they're hostile to God. Maybe they're full of bitterness and hostility. Who knows? But those are the three kinds of people. And what's important, particularly as it relates to disputable matters in the body of Christ, is deference. Learning to defer to the needs of others without Compromising biblical truth in the process. The strong, the spiritually mature, need to learn to defer to the weak. Sometimes we'll have to give up our freedoms. Sometimes we'll have to give up our liberties in order to keep the peace in the body of Christ. And the strong have the onus of responsibility of doing that because there is a sense in which my brother is more important than I am, more important than my liberties in Christ. The weak. Need to grow up and they need to mature in Christ. They need to learn to run freely through the fields of grace and learn to live in it. So the mature need to defer, the, the weak need to grow up and learn to be more accepting. And then the strong and the weak need to both be sensitive to the non believer so that the non believer feels welcomed in the house of God and feels valued. Among the family of faith. So these are the three kinds of people in every church and the three kinds of attitudes that they're to have toward others in the body of Christ and outside the body of Christ. But having said that, you'll notice with me this morning that Paul really doesn't spend a lot of time talking to the weak and he doesn't spend a lot of time talking to the lost. He spends the lion's share of his time talking to the mature. Because there is a greater burden of responsibility to those of us who've been around longer, who have a greater understanding of biblical truth, who are continually growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's kind of like being the oldest sibling in the family. How many of you here are firstborn among children? Let me see your hands. And we've got some people. I'm a firstborn, so I'm raising my hand with you. And there's kind of a burden, an extra burden, burden of responsibility that goes along with that when you're the older sibling in the family. And I experienced that. There's a lot of privileges that go along with being the older sibling in the family. Like, no question, my mother and father love me more than they love my two brothers. That's a great privilege. And, uh, you know, they always gave me greater gifts than they gave them. And that's because of who I was and my position and responsibility in the family. But I tell you, along with that, came great responsibility with those privileges and especially so when my mom and dad got divorced and it was just mama with these three boys two of whom were teenagers at the time I was a heavy load to carry so my mother needed me to step up because I'd been around longer and I knew the ways of the household a little bit better and a little bit more mature than my other brothers who were still in the growing process. And that's the case with the spiritually mature in the body of Christ. Sometimes the strong, the mature have to sacrifice for the betterment of those who aren't there with them yet. We have to be willing to do that, to sacrifice. Because that's what goes along with the privilege of growth and the privilege of walking with the Lord. We sacrifice if it's in the best interest of the unity of the body of Christ, if it's in the best interest of the kingdom of Christ, if it fosters togetherness, and if it helps the church better accomplish its mission, because the mature should know among any and everybody in the church that it's not about me, it's about the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're to be about more than anything else, is accomplishing that incredible mission of taking the gospel and impacting our community with it, and then from our community The entire world. And that's made very clear by the first two verses of chapter 15. The collective mission of the body always outweighs the preferences and the prerogatives of any individual part. Look at verse 1 and 2 again of chapter 15. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Circle that word obligation in your notes. The last message we preached in our series on Philemon a couple of weeks ago, and I set that up intentionally before this because I knew that that was a letter that was all about welcoming and receiving people into the family. And you remember, Paul is encouraging Philemon to take that wayward runaway slave back Take him back, receive him in, because you are obligated to do it. Obligated to do it. You have a responsibility to do it. And so there comes this heavy obligation for those of us who are growing and maturing in Christ to defer and bear with others and their failings. By failings, they're just not where we are yet. They may be saved, but they're not spiritually strong, maybe not even spiritually growing very much at all. They'll have different opinions than we have. Or maybe they're lost, and they sure don't even have the same worldview even that we have. So these are reminders of a, a principle that was made very popular by The Purpose Driven Life, a book that many of you have read. And if that book can be summarized into a nugget of a phrase, it would be this phrase, it's not about you. That's right. It's not about you. That's basically what Paul's saying here in his introduction to 1 Corinthians 15. You got, y'all got to quit. Y'all are getting at each other's, nipping at each other's heels. And you have to stop that because ultimately it's not about you. It's about the mission. And more to the point, it's not about me. It's about them. It's about them. It's always about others in the kingdom of Christ. It's never about me. There are things that I glean from my growth in the kingdom of Christ. I'm a disciple of Jesus, and I am to learn, and I am to grow, and the church is to feed me, and the church is to set the table for me to become a self-feeder and grow. But man, if it's all about me, then we'll have a fractious party along the way because ultimately it's not about me, it's about them. And if you don't believe that, all you got to do is look at the example of Jesus. Look at the example of Jesus. And Paul does. He makes this point here. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves. We should please our neighbor for his good to build him up. And then he says, if you don't want to take it from me, just look at your Lord. And he shows us Jesus in verse 3. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Aren't you glad that Jesus was willing to get up off of his throne in heaven, be born a baby in a cattle trough, be raised by a peasant carpenter, and ultimately take the high road to Golgotha Golgotha to die on a cross for a low-life, stinking sinner like you and me. See, Jesus didn't, the point is, he wasn't self-absorbed to the point of narcissism. What man in heaven would ever want to leave heaven for any reason? Much less to die on a cross. And that's Paul's point. I want you to not be about you, but to bear with the lackings of others for their good, just like Christ did for you. That makes sense? And if that's not enough, there's a wonderful statement that Paul will make to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 2, where he makes it very clear That the same attitude that Jesus had when he turned his back on the riches of heaven to be born in a cattle trough, to be raised by a peasant carpenter all the way to death on a cross, the same attitude is to be found in everyone who would attach themselves to Christ and follow him. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. The attitude that Jesus had, let that be your attitude, who even though he was in very nature God, did not consider his equality with God something to be selfishly grasped, like a child clinging to a toy that he or she doesn't want to relinquish. But he turned loose of his privileges, making himself nothing, emptying himself coming in the likeness of man. Being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient, even unto the death of the cross. Therefore God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus was exalted by God but before exaltation, first came humiliation. Before he was raised up, he first lowered himself. So with Jesus, make no mistake, others always came first. And with that understanding of what real Christ-likeness is all about, Paul says, now, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Many of you have um, welcome mats hanging in your house. Judy is a big cross-stitcher. She calls it arts and crafts. I call it country crock, And she's always been big on it. She's a part of this cross-stitch club where she gets like a, I don't know what it is. It's like a cross-stitch pattern of the month. I think I could have financed my children's college education on the amount that we have invested in cross-stitch, so she's always cross-stitching. After this message, she's going to want to cross-stitch my mouth completely shut. But we have these all over the house, and there's all kinds of these little sayings: "Home sweet home," and "Home is where you hang your heart," and all of that stuff. But then, you know, front and center, when you walk into the house, into the kitchen, I believe there's a framed and matted cross stitch that simply says "Welcome, friends." How many of you have something like that in your house, right? Welcome, friends. Maybe it's hanging on the wall. Maybe it's on the welcome mat in front of your house. Maybe it hangs aside your front door or on your back door. Or maybe you just want to wait until they come into the house and hang out for a while before you designate them friends. Nonetheless, you have a mat that says, welcome, because you want your home to be a welcoming place. Isn't that right? See, that's what we want everybody saying about our church. That's what we want to hang out. It may not hang out on a wall somewhere, but that's what we want people experiencing every time they come into the family of faith. We want that to be the understood greeting of our church family. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now, let me land the plane this morning by giving you three very important things about this welcome that we're looking to cultivate over this next little bit of our life together at Hillcrest. Three very important aspects of the welcoming community that we want to be, the consistent welcome that we provide to other people. First of all, we want to welcome folks into a space that's inviting for everyone Now, there's no doubt you know this. You're experiencing this morning. The Lord's provided our church with some wonderful facilities through the years. Isn't that right? Some of them are reasonably new. Uh, Others of them are distantly new. Others of them are just flat out old. Amen. And they've been around for a long time. And you know the thing I found about facilities, facilities really, uh, truth be told, are a lot like children. It's a whole lot easier to birth them, and it's a whole lot easier to have them than it is to maintain them. Can the parents give me an amen this morning? Everybody talks about how wonderful it is to have a baby, but then the baby eventually becomes a teenager, and you want to take them out, you know? You wanted to bring them in. There comes a time in every parent's life you want to take them out, and they become really expensive. Judy and I are in the most expensive part of life that we've ever been in right now in these last Five or so years because kids in college another one getting married and all of that I mean so you know it's always easier and less expensive on the front end everybody gets excited about building a building but then you start talking about keeping up the building and and it's not quite as exciting but we have to do that and the reason that we have to do it is because our facilities are the first impression that we make on people They are the first impression. People form an impression of Hillcrest before they ever hear hear the first words coming out of this pastor's mouth. They form an impression by what they see when they drive up and down Nine Mile Road or Guidy Lane. They form an impression about what they see and experience when they drive on the parking lot, when they get out of their car, when they're walking to the building, when they walk up to the door, when they walk through the door, when they're trying to find a seat, when they walk into the room. They form an impression before I ever open my mouth, and sometimes it might be an obstacle. It never has been really here, but we never want it to be. So we want to stay sharp and we want to stay on the cutting edge because our facilities speak volumes about who we are and what it is that we really believe. So we're going to be presenting to you some very important facilities upgrades over the next few weeks at both of our campuses as well as some future development. We've got some things that are not here yet, not part of us yet that we think can be very exciting that we'd like to see God provide for us. And so we're going to be rolling all of this out over the next several weeks. And all of this, I think, is going to position us as a church very well from a facility standpoint to be where we need to be for this next phase of our ministry growth. Really, what we're trying to do is position our church from a facility standpoint to be prepared for the next two decades, the next 20 years of life together as a church. We don't want to have to be running back and forth to the church every time. We want to try to do it as much as we can forecast it up front because it's just tough to mobilize finances coming and going, doing it a little bit at the time. So we're going to target some of these things, and we'll be rolling these out in the meetings that are to come. It'll be fresh. It'll be exciting. And that's what we have to do, ensure that our facilities are maintained in a way that they're presented fresh and modern in a changing culture, and virtually everybody of every age will experience something in the things that we'll be rolling out. So we're going to do that in text and in pictures and in ways that we think will be visually appealing, first to the leadership groups and then to the church as a whole. So stay tuned. Good stuff is coming. We want to welcome folks into spaces inviting for everyone. Make sense? Amen? Amen. Secondly, we want to welcome folks into a disciple making culture. I was so excited to hear Pastor Mitchell tell me on Thursday of this week, Pastor, you're not going to believe it, because he just started this becoming like Christ uh, emphasis in the spiritual gifts. He said, what, 63? 68 showed up at his first meeting and they were having to turn people away. That's pretty good. Because that's what disciple making, that's where it begins, really, with learning how to become a more effective and efficient self-feeder, not being reliant so much on the pastor, not being reliant on that connect group teacher, though they have a biblical responsibility to teach us the things of God. But learning how to be a better self-feeder to grow as a disciple. Because you got all week to feed yourself, right? So it's important that you know how to do it. And we're going to try to figure out how to rope those in who couldn't get into the room because it was at capacity. We've always been a disciple-making church. At least we've had that as a part of our mission. I said a minute ago, we've got a great vision at Hillcrest, and it isn't going to change. When we wrote that mission statement several years ago, when we got finished with that deal, I thought, this we're never going to have to change this. Until I float on to glory, this will never have to be changed, and it won't. Our mission at Hillcrest is to help people in What? Becoming like Christ by worshiping God, connecting with others, and serving the world. And you just don't have to change that. That's biblical right out of the scriptures. And that little phrase, becoming like Christ, is discipleship in a phrase. That's what it means to grow as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want that to be the heart and soul of everything that we do, everything that we're about, because that's the biblical mandate of the church. Jesus said, go therefore and what? Make disciples of all nations. He didn't say go and attract a crowd. See, we've tended in church life over the last many decades to make success about attracting crowds. So much so, and I listen, I like crowds. I want big crowds at Hillcrest. I'd rather have a big crowd than no crowd. Can I have an amen? But that's the first question a lot of times when you are talking to somebody who goes to a church that's not yours or whatever and you'll look at them and the first question that comes from your mind as a question of curiosity that person is this how many of y'all run and you make a value judgment based on how many people they have sitting in seats why doesn't anybody ever ask how many disciples y'all making over there nobody ever asked that question is that not the more appropriate biblical question How many disciples, how many of those puppies are really being fashioned? Because that's what Jesus said the church was to do. Go and make disciples of all nations. See to it that people are following Jesus and doing so ever more closely, becoming ever more serious about their walk with him. So that it's not just about them getting fed and growing and growing and growing. It's not just about come and receive. It's about come and become so that what you're learning, you're then able to turn and invest in others. And see, most of the time, we're just about coming and receiving. We want to create a culture at Hillcrest where it's, up, it's about coming and receiving, yes. But as much as it is about coming and receiving, it's about going and investing. So that if I were to ask you this morning, okay, let me ask you this about your, your walk with the Lord. How many people are you attached to right now that you are personally discipling? How would you answer that question? You see, it's a lot different. It's easy to answer a question, how many times you go to church in a month? And it's important. But when you turn it around, how many people are you discipling? You know, the interest sometimes falls off. But that's what a disciple does. A disciple not only grows, a disciple disciples others. And so what we want to do is create a culture where that's the heart and soul of who we are. Boy, I tell you, we do that, we'll have to talk about building bigger bigger spaces. Not just modernizing, but bigger spaces. Because that's how the church grows in a lasting and effective kind of way so we want Hillcrest to be a place where people come and become in every area of discipleship from community engagement personal evangelism personal soul winning, missions involvement, personal biblical spiritual growth and faithful stewardship, being a good steward of everything that God has entrusted to your life speaking of biblical stewardship that's the third thing we want to welcome folks into a space inviting for everyone. We want to welcome folks to a disciple-making culture. Finally, we want to welcome folks to a financially secure future. A financially secure future. This effort that we're calling the Welcome Initiative comes with projects that will require us to invest personally in terms of dollars and cents. These kinds of capital movements always require a financial investment, because you can't do ministry without money. Here's the thing. Nobody knows how to do mission and ministry apart from money. You can't do it. And that's why all of us need to understand that for vision to become reality, regardless of what the vision is, always requires an investment of the people of God. And that shouldn't surprise you. The, the projects that we're going to highlight as a part of the Welcome Initiative are of such size and scope that we cannot subsidize them out of our budget. We can't do it. Every dollar of our budget, our operating budget, is already earmarked. It's earmarked from the time we approve it the previous November. And so we don't have large, we don't have fat in our budget, only very very small amount of discretionary spending. So our budget is committed, which means that we sometimes have to step outside of the budget. And what we're getting to do is not the biggest step outside the budget we've ever made. That was for the Generations building. That was a $10 million building. And our church gave in cash over $5.5 million in that capital campaign for the Generations building. That was the biggest campaign that we've ever done. This one will not be that big. The last campaign that we did was about three years ago, the GO campaign for the infrastructure development of our Spanish Trail Campus. Many of you remember that. I stood in front of you at that time. People thought I'd lost my mind. i had asked for $800,000 to be given in cash in 90 days. And we didn't have $800,000 given in 90 days, but we did have a million dollars given in about nine months. Can I have an amen? In cash. We'd have to borrow a dime to finance that Spanish Trail project. A million dollars in cash was given by this church, and we had a surplus in the budget by the end of that year. That's just crazy good is what that is. Over the last 12 years in the life of our church, we've had two capital campaigns all the while giving away in that period of time over $5 million to mission causes. We've given away $5 million plus to mission-related causes, just giving it away over the last 12 years. And all the while we've been doing all this collecting and all this capital fundraising and all of this giving and all of this building and all of this supporting of missions. We've seen our indebtedness consistently go down by over a million dollars in that same period of time. When I came to be the pastor of this church, our indebtedness was $4.2 million. Today, with all of that giving, building a $10 million building, a million-dollar infrastructure project at Spanish Trail, exceeding our budget giving every year but two, and the two we didn't were the two biggest giving years that we had, and we came within 1.5% of the budget in each of those two years. In addition to all of that, we've managed to reduce our debt by over a million dollars. $2.9 million is our indebtedness today, down from 4.2. It's crazy good. It's crazy good the way this church gives and supports the work of ministry. Doug Kemsel said last night, and I echoed it when I got it, it's the most generous church that we've ever been a part of. We're not the wealthiest church. But we're the most generous church that I've ever been a part of in my life. This project that we're entering into is a $3.5 million project over three years. $3.5 million over three years. It will be an average gift per giving unit of about $5,000 per giving unit over three years. Eminently doable. That's over and above giving of about $1,600 a year over three years for the average person at Hillcrest and so it's by far this is something that can be done and it's something that must be done because our community is growing and we don't want to stay static we don't stay where we are we're going backward if we don't grow with this growth shame on us we don't want to stay static to stay as we are is to go backwards in the kingdom we don't want that So we want to do whatever it takes because the community is growing and people are coming and we need to be ready to receive them and to welcome them into the family of God like we never have before. This is the welcome initiative. Therefore, welcome one another. As Christ has welcomed you to the glory of God. People are coming. The question is what role will you play? What difference will we make?